Well, we are so excited that you've joined us today. I know that for many of you, this is now your second week of being uh, quarantined, put in a place where you're wondering, dear Jesus, when am I going to get out of here? And most of all, when are my kids going to get out of here? But on a serious note, I know that many of you, just like me, are very concerned about the health and safety of our friends and our family, our entire community, and also the health and state of our economy and our nation. I believe that today I have a word that will help you put things in divine perspective. As a matter of fact, people have said to me over and over over the last several weeks, Pastor, what's going on? What does all of this mean? I love the words of my dear friend, Dr. Darius Daniels, who says, when you see God doing something, he's doing something. And when you see God doing nothing, he's still doing something. God is always working and God is always moving. All we have to do is wonder, what is it? Just a few weeks ago, I was on a phone call with 40 of the key leaders in the body of Christ. One of them is an incredible man of God who's been used all over the world, Bishop T.D. Jakes. We were talking about how we could gather and pray together. Many of you know you're joining us at 7.14 in the morning praying a prayer for God to remove this incredible plague of the uh, coronavirus, and you're praying it in the evening with our pastors at 7.14. And he was asked to close out a meeting and to comment on what he thought God was saying to America. And as only Bishop Jades could say, he said, my brothers, when God allows a plague, every one of us must ask why. And today, I want to begin with that. Why do you think God is allowing us to walk through what we're walking through? Have others walked through similar circumstances or maybe even the exact same circumstances that we're walking through right now? Well, the answer to that, you don't have to look very far. All you have to do is look in the pages of this book. As a matter of fact, today is Palm Sunday as we prepare for Good Friday. And as we begin to share, it's not an accident that many of the same circumstances that were happening that actually preceded exactly where we are right now are right here in the Word of God. That's right. When you think of plagues, every one of us think of the obvious. When God sent Moses back to Egypt, to the very Pharaoh and the very palace that he was raised in, to go and to be God's voice. You see, the children of Israel had been in Egypt for over 400 years. They came because Joseph had great favor and he was elevated to being the CEO over all of Egypt. And he gave them the most beautiful land for his family. There was 70 when they came 400 years before. It was all of Joseph's relatives. But now, 400 years later, there were now millions of God's people. They'd been enslaved. And now God was sending Moses, one who'd been raised right in the very palace of Pharaoh, to go back and to look at Pharaoh and to say, let my people go. 
But before he would ever talk to him and before he would ever tell him that God was going to send plagues, he had to go and gather together with all the leaders of the children of Israel. And he was going to tell them that he was going to Pharaoh. He used signs and wonders to speak to them. And then he would go to Pharaoh and call down 10 plagues. As I reminded you a few weeks ago, each one of these plagues were actually gods that the children of Egypt and now the children of Israel had all begun to worship. They worshiped the water, so God turned the water to blood. They worshiped lice, they worshiped frogs, they worshiped flies. Every single thing that they worshiped and honored and revered, God sent in a plague down to the final plague, which was the firstborn of every living creature, even to Pharaoh's house, would die unless they put the blood on the doorpost of their house. And while we remember those things, what we sometimes don't remember is that God was doing two things at one time. God was judging the gods of Egypt. He was showing that he was the true and the living God, but at the same time, he was also speaking to the children of Israel who had fallen into idolatry, who had begun like Egyptians to think if they're worshiping those gods and they're blessed and they're prospering and we're enslaved, then maybe we should worship them too. And when the plagues came, God not only judged the gods of Egypt, but he spoke to his children. God's children, the children of Israel. And he said, it's time to come back to the true and the living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God that's seen your affliction and your slavery. And I've heard your prayer. Back to the original question Bishop Jake asked, why is God allowed this plague? I believe very clearly that God is doing two things. I believe that he is pulling down the gods of America and the gods of this world. As a nation, we've worshiped prosperity. It's been pulled down. As a nation, we've worshiped our military might. It doesn't matter. It hasn't helped against the virus. We've worshiped our health care which is now on the brink of collapse. Every single thing that we have worshiped and put our confidence in has now failed us. Now, let me give you the good news because I know you're thinking, Pastor, but, but that's happening not only just to the people that made God, their, their gods out of things that they shouldn't have, Pastor, in America. It, it's also happening to us. That's true. Because the first people whose attention God's got to get when he wants to bring a spiritual awakening and revive people and bring them back to the place they should have been in the beginning is he begins with his own children. And when those 10 plagues came, only the first three covered all of Egypt. The children of Israel were living in a beautiful chosen place that Joseph gave them when he was the CEO of Egypt, and it was called Goshen. It was a beautiful, lush land. That's where they lived. And when the first three plagues came, they covered all of Egypt, including Goshen. But by the fourth plague, by the fourth plague, the plague would then only cover all of Egypt. 
As a matter of fact, God said to Pharaoh via Moses, I am now going to put a distinction between my people and the children of Egypt. I am going to separate them. Because you see, what brings judgment to others actually brings correction to God's children. God's desire, just like our desire is when our children, when we discipline them, is to bring them back to the heart of what they're supposed to be doing and to the heart of the people that love them. The Bible says in the last days that everything that can be shaken will be shaken, and God is shaking circumstances of our world right now to bring his children back to himself. To bring his children back to himself. But when God sent Moses, he sent him with a message that would first be delivered to the elders of the children of Israel. And I want to read that to you because I believe it tells us as believers exactly what our perspective should be as we're walking through what is today a modern day plague. It's found in Exodus 3.8. Listen to what Moses tells the leader, the leaders, the elders, of Israel before he ever goes to Pharaoh. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of Egypt and to bring them up from the land to a good and a large land, to a land flowing with milk and a honey, to a place of the Canaanites and the Kibites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hibites, the Jebusites, and a lot of other ites and dites. What was God saying that he wanted to do? Here was the first thing that God wanted to do, and I believe also it parallels with what God wants to say to us. You see, the Bible is filled with patterns. And oftentimes we can't judge people, but we can judge patterns. And one of the patterns for spiritual renewal is the very one that God gave Moses as he came back as a prophetic deliverer to bring the children of Israel out of slavery so they could truly worship God. Remember, that was the cry. Let my people go so they can come and worship me. They were now worshiping something else and God wanted to bring them out of that idolatry back to a place of worshiping the true and the one and the only living God. Someone rightfully said, if the greatest commandment in the world is to love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, that's what Jesus said the first and greatest commandment was, then the greatest sin there is, is to not love God with all of your heart. I believe that in this moment, God is pulling down things that we've begun to put our trust and our confidence and our security in, just like many people that don't have an eternal hope. And that God has allowed the circumstances that are taking place right now to begin with you and me saying, first, I want to bring you back to myself. I want to bring you to the one that will never leave you, to the one that would never forsake you to the one who is the lover of your soul. I want to bring you back to worship the true and the living God. In this passage, Moses is sent to tell them they are to do four things. Here's the first one. He says, I have come down. Remember, they've now been in slavery for hundreds of years. They're oppressed. They're beat down. But God says, Moses, I want you to go tell them, I've come down. Let me tell you what that means. God sees what you're going through. 
He's not just in heaven looking down. He knows. He understands. And most of all, he cares. He, he cares. One of the most powerful stories in the Bible is when Jesus arrived at a funeral at the worst time, four days late. It was his best friend, Lazarus. It was a, a friend that he stayed with. It was actually the most immediate close family to him in ministry outside of the disciples. He got to his funeral four days late. And when he got there, everyone was absolutely disappointed in him. As a matter of fact, his sisters, Mary and Martha, came and they said to him, Jesus, if only you would have been here. Jesus, if only, if only you would have. What they didn't understand is he was God. Sometimes when we go through things and we feel like we're going through misunderstandings, we're going through confusion, somehow we feel like, God, where are you? What's going on? But Jesus came. And when he came to the grave of his old best friend, Lazarus, who was now gone, it simply says this. It's the shortest verse of the Bible. Many of you know it by memory. It says this, Jesus wept. He wept. Now, what's interesting is we all know Jesus was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. Why was he weeping? He was weeping because even though he knew it was about to happen, he sympathized with those there who were grieving. I love what Hebrews 4, 14 or 15 and 16 says in the Passion Translation. It says, he understands humanity. For as a man, our magnificent king priest was tempted in every way, just as we are, and he conquered sin. So now we can come freely and boldly to where love is enthroned to receive mercy's kiss and to discover the grace we urgently need to strengthen us in our time of weakness. You know what that means? He knows where you are. He feels your pain. And he's come down for you. Here's the second thing that he told him to say. I came to deliver you out. I came to deliver you out. I, I don't know what your circumstances are right now. I know that we're all still quarantined. I know that we need to stay six feet away from each other. I know that many of you that are watching, if you're a business owner, you probably have lost a lot of your business. If you're an employee, not an employer, you're probably questioning, am I ever going to get a job back? What's going to happen with my house payment, my car payment? What about my children? What about their schooling? What's going to happen with school? What are they going to do? All of these different questions. Listen carefully to me. God's got a plan and a purpose. Jeremiah 29, 11, the message translation says this, I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you, not to abandon you. Plans to give you the future you hoped for. God has come down and he is going to deliver you and he is going to help you. He knows what you need. He's going to deliver you. You say, Pastor, how? Let me answer that. 
I don't know how, but I do know who. He, the great deliverer. He will take what the enemy has meant for evil and he will turn it for good for you. Here's the third message that Moses had for the elders of Israel is God is coming and he's also come to bring you up. To bring you up. What does that mean? That means that when we go through difficult things, we all feel like we're down. We all feel like it's just terrible. We're in the pits. That's a matter of fact, it's a term that many of us use. Man, this is the pits. This is the pits. This is terrible. Can I tell you this? Romans 8, 28 says, and we know, I I love the amplified version, and we know with great confidence that God works all things together for the good. Listen, if it's not good yet, it's not the end yet, because God is going to work things for your good. When he allows you to walk through a valley, his desire is to bring you up. It's never pain for no purpose whatsoever. It's always a pain that leads to a greater gain. Here's the fourth thing that he told those elders that I believe he wants you and I to know in this challenging moment. He said, I want to bring you to a land flowing with milk and with honey. Now, now let me tell you, when you're talking to slaves about milk and honey, that's like saying to you, sequestered up in your home, and you're sitting around, you're wondering, when is everything going to be normal? And someone coming to you saying, it's going to be flowing, Don's gumbo, Ruth's Chris steak, and the best crawfish you've ever seen that are this big, look like baby lobsters. That's what he said to them. What was he really saying? God's going to take care of you. And all the pain that you've walked through, he's going to bring you to a better place than you've ever imagined in your life. And you know what you've dreamed of when you're in slavery and when you're confined and when you're bound? You know what you dream of? You dream of all the things you really wish that you could have. You know what's so wonderful about God? The Bible says he wants to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond anything that you could ask, think, or imagine. Let me tell you what that means. What's your greatest dreams for your life? What's your greatest plans and purposes? God says, whatever they are, mine are exceedingly abundantly above and beyond that. You say, Pastor, how do you know that? I know that because I have 46 years of personal history and I got thousands of years of written history. This precious word, heaven and earth will pass away. Listen, the economy will change. The stock market will change. Different challenges that we go through. There will be coronaviruses. Next one may be a dos equis virus. That'll be twice as bad. There's going to be all kinds of different things that we will experience in our lifetime. But let me tell you something the old people say all the time. Don't worry, Shai. This too will pass. And it will. But this will never, ever pass away. Today, I hope you're encouraged. Today, I hope that you realize that what God is doing in the earth right now is preparing us 
for the greatest spiritual awakening our nation has ever known. In 1971, I came to Christ in a junior high school in the Mexican ghetto of Houston in the heart of integration. You think there's racial hatred and things going on across the earth right now, filling the news channels all before this virus did? You should have seen it in the 60s and 70s. But it was there in the middle of that chaos that God heard the cry of his people and he sent a spiritual awakening that shook America. Millions were born again. Millions. We are on the cusps of the same thing happening even now. Be encouraged. God is for you. He is with you. And He is working on your behalf even now. Could I pray for you? Father, I thank you so much for the precious people that are watching. I thank you that we can look into the pages of your word and we can see how in history and patterns you've worked bringing people to yourself, reminding them that you are the true and living God and there is no other. And that you will have no other gods before you. And just as you brought down the gods of Egypt, so we are experiencing you bringing what people have made their gods today. I pray for every child of God every child of God. I pray for the peace of the Holy Spirit to cover them. And I thank you that we are not as those who have no hope. That right now, you are distinguishing the difference. You are separating the difference between your people and those that don't know you. You're separating them. When they walk in fear, we walk in faith. When they walk in hate, we walk in hope. When they walk in panic, we walk in peace. Because we don't know how it's going to work out but we know who's going to work it all out. Cover every child of God with your peace. In Jesus' name. And now as we close, I want to ask you the most important question of your life. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, unless a man or woman was born again, they wouldn't enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then he said, don't be surprised that I tell you, you must be born again. Have you been born again? You say, Pastor, what does that mean? I've been christened, I've been baptized, I've joined the church. Isn't that good enough? That's a great start. But Jesus said in John 3, 3, unless a man or woman is born again, they won't see the kingdom of heaven. Unless a man or woman is born again, they won't enter into the kingdom of heaven. So don't marvel that I tell you, you must be born again. You see, in the garden, when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God told them in the day they ate of it, they would surely die. And they did. They didn't fall over dead that moment, but spiritually they died. And every person born since Adam and Eve has been born spiritually dead. Mother Teresa was born spiritually dead. Billy Graham was born spiritually dead. The most holy person you now know was born spiritually dead. Until the moment they put their trust in Jesus Christ and turned from their sins, and that moment they were born again. Their name was written in a book in heaven called the Book of Life. And one day when they stand before Jesus on that day, he's going to open up that book and their name is going to be right there. Have you been born again? Is your name written in that book? Today, you can be. You say, Pastor, how, how can I? It's as easy as A, B, C. A, admit that you're a sinner. B, 
believed Jesus Christ became your sin bearer. And he died for your sin so you wouldn't have to die with your sin. See, confess Christ as your Lord and Savior as you turn away from sin to be born again. When you do those three things, you go from spiritual death to spiritual life. And the same resurrection that happened in Lazarus and the same resurrection that happened in Jesus when he was dead for three days happens inside of you. Would you like to be born again today? I want to pray a very simple prayer with you. And if you want to be born again, you can pray with me. And at the end of this prayer, you'll go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Your name will be written in that book. And you will be a born again, blood washed, spirit filled child of the living God. If that's what you desire, would you bow your head and just pray with me right where you are? Just repeat after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me, so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. And I am born again in Jesus' name. Amen.